This church was under affliction and they begged to be part of this relief fund. Look at what else it says. Their abundance of joy. Does that sound like this bothered them to be part of this? Their abundance of joy. Can I just tell you, this is one of your takeaways today, that the idea of giving should reflect this. There should be an abundance of joy within our hearts. We all hear about how Christmas time, when we receive that gift, it's all about receiving. We, we watched this happen a few years ago within my own family, and there's a tower of sin underneath the tree. All right? There's just, it's ridiculous. And, and so we actually experienced so little joy because people are just ripping through and going from present to present. To, and nobody even knows what each other gave. So we made a new rule. We open one present at a time. The person who bought it takes it to the person, gives it to them. So there is the experience of an abundance of joy in giving a gift. Right? It takes the materialism out of it. Let us not just give for the sake of giving. Let us make sure that what we're doing comes with an abundance of joy, just like this church in Macedonia, who again, were under extreme affliction. And then it says, they're extreme poverty! Well, pastor, are you going to hit us up later on for a gift? Because I ain't got nothing. I'm at an event last night. And I've done a lot of these events, and I know when the ask is coming. And the ask came like 18 times throughout the entire event. And they did a fantastic job, very worthwhile cause. But as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, I've got this cause, I've got this cause, I've got this cause, I've got this cause, I've got this cause. Where am I going to... I'm all caused out. And so there can be actually a sense of, of giving fatigue. We're going to talk about that today. And, and by the way, what, I, what I'm referring to last night, great ministry and, and just a, a sense of, of giving. And our church is going to be supporting that ministry this coming year. We're very excited about that. We'll be letting you know about it as far as a work over in India. So out of their extreme poverty have overflowed what? What's it say? A wealth of generosity. So we see what? We see abundance of joy extreme poverty, wealth of generosity. You think Paul was moved about this group of people in Macedonia? What a tremendous testimony. And what he's doing is he's using it as a point to encourage and lift up this other church in Corinth, which was just a little bit south of Macedonia. And he's saying, I want to share with you what they're doing. These are your brothers. Look at what the, it, it, there's so much joy in what they're doing. Let me take you into just some pivot points, shall we? Thanksgiving, it's that time of year. And you can follow along. We have some sermon notes, some fill in the blank. And we're going to move through this pretty quickly. I want you to focus on this part under the idea of Thanksgiving. It's that time of year where we need to be really reflecting in thanks. But also, right now, it's a time of giving. There are a lot of needs. A lot of needs. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. 
Now this is later on. We were reading in 8. This is in 9. He goes back to the same story. And he's trying to inspire. Because he's saying, hey, there's this time where we're doing a special relief fund. And the time is coming for you, the church of Corinth, to, to show up. Let me tell you how Macedonia showed up. And how great their response is. Well, let's look at, let's look at some things here. Giving options. The church of Corinth had some giving options. They obviously were in need of taking care of one another. They had their own budget that they had to deal with, right? We'll look at Acts 2.42 shortly, and it says that they had everything in common and there was none that had need because they brought and cared for one another. And so there's a sense to where the church starts with caring for one another and then we reach out. And Paul is saying from their extreme poverty, the Macedonian church reached out to others beyond. They were taking care of home and they were taking care with special needs to those around. We have the same opportunities here. We have the same giving options here. Whether it's regular support or special gifts. We have budget. We have a deacon's fund that I get to share with you even now that uh, the deacons are going to be making a contribution as well as our contributions to the Paradise Fire Relief Fund. We have a deacon's fund that you need to be very aware of for two reasons. Number one, if you have a need, a particular need that goes beyond what, what God has given you resources for, and it's, it's not a new Corvette, alright? If you have a particular need that is a need, please talk to our deacons. Let them know. We have money sitting there that we want to bless the body with. And this past week I was able to talk with someone who's taking care of five family members by herself. She's exhausted. She broke down in tears in front of me. She has nothing left. And I said, let the deacons, let the church help you. And so much of the time we let pride get in our way of that. Let me tell you the number one way to get over that issue of pride and when you need help is when you have, give back to that deacon fund. We have envelopes as you leave um, every Sunday. Well, they're there all week, so if you want to just come in for a special trip, you can grab up an envelope as well. There's envelopes in the back of some of the chairs, and that's specifically for Deacon Fund. This fund is above and beyond our regular giving, and it helps those people that have crisis needs. That's kind of what the church at Macedonia was dealing with. It's kind of what Paul was talking about. Giving options. We don't have a place to gather. You don't have a place to come to today unless we're meeting budget. As, as we follow through with our ministries, as we follow through with taking on this new mission to India, if we're not giving regularly to budget to support these things, then we do not have a place to gather. God has not let this place burn down yet. So can we please use it to our advantage? Because there's whole communities that no longer have that advantage. The church has been dispersed in places all over the world. And they're still thriving. But here, we have been blessed with this place. God has put a pin on a map with this place. And we're making a difference. You're going to see a picture in a little bit of 30-some individuals that came from all over the nation that gathered here for a national conference on immigrant hope this past week. And they said it was the best conference they've ever done. They thought this facility was absolutely incredible and were blessed beyond comparison. The reason we have a facility is because of your regular giving. 
The reason we're able to give to missions is because of your regular giving. The reason Janine can have earrings. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the reasons Pastor Jer has this name tag, which is soon going to say fired, um, <laughs> is because of your giving. So let's not, let's not hide behind that. Our giving in community is moving towards the idea of what God can do here. But here's the challenge that we face. Is, is that money being wasted? My hope is that you see. My desire is that you see how your gifts and your giving transform lives. So you have many giving options. You have giving obstacles, don't you? You have giving obstacles. Some is understanding. Some of us today, when we heard that pastor's going to be speaking on giving, we pictured TBN, we pictured telephone people, we pictured people singing until you give enough, right? We pictured Pastor Jared locking himself up at Starbucks until you give enough money for the monument pro- program. Well, you probably didn't picture that. I did. Sometimes we have a lack of understanding about the joy. What we just read. An abundance of joy when it comes to giving. And the enemy, Satan, would like nothing more than to discourage us in this area and steal us of the joy of following in the footsteps of our Father God in giving sacrificially. I want to give you instructions so that you do not misunderstand the beauty of giving. Paul is giving instruction. He's helping them understand because sometimes there's an obstacle. Sometimes our focus is diverted to things that we shouldn't be focusing on. So there's nothing to give. Sometimes uh, we don't have the resources because we look at somebody else and we say, well, that person has more resources, so let them give. Right? That's a lot of what our our society says today. Well, let's let the 1% carry the burden and, and, you know, because we don't really have that. What's fascinating is what did we just read about the church at Macedonia? And if we operate by that thinking, what happens to our joy in giving? When we operate in that understanding that I don't have the kind of resources to give, we just took God out of the equation. We just took God out of the equation. So we have to overcome obstacles, bad experiences, right? There's just some restaurants, no matter how good they are, I'm not going there. Because I know I'm going to get sat by the bathroom. Well, my poor wife's going to get sat underneath the vent. And she's going to freeze during... Some of you refuse to sit right where Megan's sitting because the air comes right there. And so you're freezing. Megan loves it. But some of you are like, where is that air right now? There's no air moving in this room at all. So I'm just going to encourage the deacons, once again, be mindful. If you see people fanning themselves, let's, let's get some air circulating in the room. And don't do it by going like this, okay? We, the giving has supported the air system, so we can turn that on. What about giving obedience? Giving obedience. When it comes to Thanksgiving and it being this time of year, there's always the need to understand giving obedience and Christ encourages us in a minute well in about five minutes ten minutes I'm going to have Brad come up here and we're going to do kind of an interview process and we're going to answer some of these questions about what is Christ's expectation on giving so I'm going to I'm going to 
just kind of fast forward through that uh, at this point. But the idea is simply this. Paul and in his instructions to the church at Corinth is helping them understand that a heart of giving is a Christ-like heart. A heart of giving is a Christ-like heart. And that Christ demonstrates giving over the entirety of His ministry. Whether it's miracles, whether it's His time, Christ came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve. Christ gave and gave and gave and ultimately gave His life. And so we have that example and John reminds us in in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, that if, if we claim to be followers of Christ, then we need to walk as Christ walked. The mark of a person who has Christ-like joy is someone who is obedient in giving. It's good to give. I, I've shared this story before and I'm going to truncate it for the sake of time, but one of the questions Brad has for me, and we'll refer back to it in a little bit, is do I have someone that helped me understand this value of giving? And, and, and I'll probably share a little something different if we get to that question, but right now I'll just tell you the Lord. Uh, the Lord taught me something in college and gave me a smack upside the head that if I'm going to pinpoint a, a pivotal moment in my life where I learned about the joy of giving and obedience in giving, it was this time. Uh, I'm staying at college over the holidays. And I'm broke. I only have X amount of money and a friend invited me to go skiing. And I knew that if I went skiing and used that money, I'd be short on the money I had to live off for a week and a half. But I chose skiing because I wanted to ski. Right? I come back and I owed my friend and roommate $40. And when I got back, it was late. I knew he was leaving in the morning, early. I had friends that lived two apartments over. I got home like two in the morning, and the thought actually entered my head. He'll never know I was here. I could just fake it and just apologize later. After all, he's got plenty of money. He gets to go home. He'll get good food. I've got to live here on my own. I just rationalize, rationalize, rationalize. And all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of, Excuse me? Is that what it means to walk like Christ? Have integrity and honor what you owe. I'll take care of you. So I wrote the check out, left it on the dresser. I wish I could tell you I sealed it with a kiss and you know hugs and kisses and glitter on it in an envelope. No, I kind of smacked it down. And so then after three pizzas and two days later, I'm broke. And I'm sitting there complaining to God. God, I followed through. I obeyed with what You asked me to do. And now I'm starving. I'm literally dying. <laughs> God, what are You going to do? You said You would show up. And I'm, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm working at a health club, which is hilarious because I'm eating pizza. Uh, it started a long time ago, folks. And I'm sitting there and I'm just mopey and I'm just being Jonah and I'm like, like this at the front desk and a gal walks up to me that I work with and she says hey you want to clean the tennis courts for me she never lets anybody do that for her that was $40 instant cash and God provided 
fast forward two more days, three pizzas later, I'm broke again. <laughs> and I've got, to, I've got to make my car payment. And I'm right back at step one. I'm like, oh, come on. They have this grace period, right, God? They have this grace period, and God's like, did you not learn anything from me? He says, obey. Do what you're supposed to do. And so I drove to the post office. Back then we had post office. And uh, I'm writing the check out on the steering wheel of my Datsun 210. And I'm being Jonah all over again. I'm going to starve to death. And so I get the check. I put it in the envelope. I seal it. I'm ready to go. And there's a knock on my door window. And it just scared me because there's this guy that looks like he's out of the movie Poltergeist standing right up my window, like too close. And I slowly roll the window down. I'm like, yeah? He says, I kid you not. He says, how'd you like to make 40 bucks? I'm like, well, what's this involve? Right? He goes, well, my car won't start. Do you have jumper cables? And I'm like, well, yeah, I got jumper cables. I I can do that. That's not a problem. You don't have to pay me for it. But he still paid me the 40 bucks. Fast forward two more days. I got two days left. I'm broke again. And how many pizzas later? Three pizzas later, I'm broke again. Now I'm sitting in evening church. I'm being obedient. I'm being a good Christian. I'm going to church. And now I'm going to starve. And I'm, I couldn't tell you what Pastor Tom said. I honestly couldn't tell you a word. Because I'm just sitting there like, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. And I've got one more day left. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And... At the end of service, one of my best friends, his dad is this hard-nosed LAPD cop. Like, he won a plaque for being hard-nosed, right? It literally has a bronze nose coming out from the plaque. No, it didn't. But the guy walks up to me at the end of service, and he says, I don't know why, but God just the entire service was telling me to give you this 40 bucks. Think I learned a lesson about obedience? and dependency on God. Had I not followed through in obedience and dependency on God, I could never tell you that story. And I never would have gotten nine pizzas. <laughs> or whatever it was. Next. Thanks to Corinth. Similarities to the Corinthian church. And so we're in 2 Corinthians 9. Go over one chapter. And by the way, chapter 8, chapter 9, great passages when it's talking about the idea of... Uh, of giving in the New Testament. Uh, Some people will tell you that you need to tithe 10%. That's an Old Testament uh, uh, law-giving discipline. And it was the way that you honored the Lord was with your 10%. That's what the word tithe means. Uh, You're not going to find support. I know that some people want to really dig and they'll, they'll, they'll try to manipulate the Scriptures. I've spent 35 years looking at it. I do not see support for the tithe once the church was established after Pentecost. What I see is a much more difficult requirement. I see sacrificial giving. 10% would be easy. 10% would be easy. So the challenge here is Paul's talking to the church about reaping and sowing and giving and, and the joy that's in it and not being under compulsion to give. That's why you hear us say that so often at the end of our service when we tell you where uh, you can bring your offerings and your gifts. Is that God does not want anybody to give out of guilt. He did not give His Son out of guilt. Amen? He gave it out of love, and so we reciprocate. We give out of love. 
The challenge is we have to foster that love in our hearts. That the giving is a response, and that's what Paul's talking about in the majority of this passage out of 2 Corinthians 9. It's just a continuation thought in trying to teach and help the, the church at Corinth do a better job of understanding this. So let's look at this, verses 6-8. through eight. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul was complete in this process, Acts 2.42 speaks to the idea of that the church came together and that the church had all things in common. They were a community. And when they did so, they brought their things and they sold them so that nobody was without need. This is how the church reacts. This is how the church responds. When you are giving to the church, to this local body, you are giving so that the community is given uh, the Word of God, that the community has a place for prayer and encouragement, that we have places for study and encouragement. We have places for your children to be raised in the Word of the Lord. We have places for worship. And on and on and on and on it goes. All of that should be given with a sense of joy and understanding that this is an offering to the Lord. And the Lord should multiply it and use it greatly so lives are what? Transformed. So that lives are, that's what we're giving towards. So let me help you out. There's three points here. It's an offering requested by Paul. So when he speaks to Corinth, he understands that he's got to lead. He's got to help the church community at large know that there is a need. We have done the same in a similar way. We've let you know that there's a huge need uh, in the area of paradise. And this week, uh, many of you have responded. We also have our Bay Area giving, our Bay Area Rescue Mission giving that's going through the end of the week. George will share with you at the end of our, uh, our time here uh, a little bit about that and how you can participate in that. Paul gave instruction and sent the request. He acted as an advocate for those who are in need. An offering requested by Paul. It's an offering required it required instruction. There needed to be instruction. Paul commits a big section of the letter that he gives to the church at Corinth to helping them understand why are you doing this and what should be the response, what should be the attitude. Why are we practicing this, this discipline of giving? And so that there's no confusion and that there's no wasted money, he gives an immense amount of instruction so that spiritually we're encouraged, spiritually we understand why we're giving, and that the Lord can use that above and beyond what we could ever do with it. Paul also does this. He, he understands that there's an offering response for needs. If the church is silent about the needs around, brothers and sisters, society would fall apart. Brother George Rice gave me an article yesterday out of Christianity Today that interviewed some of the pastors up in Paradise. And a FEMA uh, director was talking with a pastor and said, the number one thing I can encourage you to do is the following. Your faith community needs to activate. Because 
We can bring in money eventually, but that's not what is going to revive this community. It's not what's going to restore this community. It always, now this is a FEMA director. He said it's always been the faith community that has had the most impact. That's your government speaking. So when we look at this idea of an offering response for needs, Paul sees the importance of it. We're acting in the same fashion. In wrap-up on this section, let me take you to the idea of thankfulness. Sacrificial living brings sacrificial giving. So, as we look at this idea, I told you we would get to the Acts 2.42-47. through 47. The thing I want you to see here is uh, the following section. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. They were sacrificing. They were sacrificing their deepest possessions in order that people would not just survive, but thrive. Have you ever had that done for you? The impact of that? If you know Jesus Christ, if you understand the message of the Gospel that God sent His Son, gave His Son to die a hideous death in our place that we might have eternal life and not suffer eternal death in hell. That is the greatest demonstration of sacrificial giving that the world could ever know and receive. This morning, if you have yet to receive that, understand clearly the way that, that all of this works. You see all the death, all the destruction. You see the calamity of the world around you, and yet the world has no answer. At the event last night, this ministry that reaches out, it reaches out to help in one aspect of it, reaches out to help those who are addicted to drugs. And he brought out a point that our president just signed into law. Uh, the usage of a... Uh, I, I don't, it starts with a B. I don't know the name of it, but it's a, it's a drug to help people get off of more serious drugs. And his point, his next point was, let me introduce to you the two gentlemen that went through our first rehab. They were both addicted to that drug that was just recommended by your president. And his point was this, we have no answer other than Christ. We have no answer other than Christ. That to see someone truly be free from a, a hideous life of addiction, we can set up programs, we can set up treatment, and those things can help to a degree. But true freedom from those things comes through Christ. That can only happen if we're giving and sacrificially giving. Let me take you through these three points and then we'll get into our questions. So, Paul reminds them that they need to be thankful for community. Wealth and poverty can coexist in the community of Christ. Isn't that a fascinating idea? You live in a society and a world that wants to pit wealth and poverty against each other. The church, the faith community has always I can't say always, in my lifetime, been the major impetus of support when disaster strikes. Some churches are not doing a good job at this, and they need to do better. We want to be a church that shines in this area. 
that reflects the love of Christ, that reflects this idea of the early church of sacrificial giving. And it's my contention, it's my pleasure to say, I see you do it. As your pastor, I'm proud to stand here before you and before God and say this church gives sacrificially. But what we learn from this passage is that it's not just the wealthy that can give. It's everybody. But do you understand, because one of the questions Brad has, I'm going to answer all these questions before you get up here, Brad. One of the questions Brad has for me is, is this idea of materialism, and is there any place for that? Brothers and sisters, if we don't have those that God has given extra resources, there will be nothing for those who have no resources. Does that make sense? The thing we need to understand is we need to measure ourselves against the rest of the world and understand how much resource we truly have. And where can we give from? We need to be thankful for a community that is diverse enough that we can have an impactful process of giving, of sacrificial giving. We need to be thankful for costs. What, Pastor? You, why didn't you just stop at community? That would have been better. Had I not gone through all the suffering of running out of pizza money, I would not have learned to depend on God. What did I take away from that experience back in my college days? That I got nine pizzas? No, that my God was teaching me something. And it created such a depth of faith and dependency on Him that it helps me overcome much more serious problems. Do you understand that? There's a beauty that comes from going through the costs of sacrifice. Lastly, but most importantly, we end today with the idea of being thankful for Christ. That our giving should always be an extension of our thankfulness for Christ who set the demonstration of sacrificial giving. And as Paul gave instructions, and as you've heard uh, multiple verses that speak to the idea that they gave out of their poverty, they gave from joy, they gave sacrificially, that none of you are under compulsion should ever give out of guilt, but you should pray through what you should give and see what the Lord would lay on your heart and see what He would do with that. And then it's our responsibility to get back to you and share with you, which we will do some this morning, get back and share with you how has your giving affected and transformed lives? Because in essence, that's what we're giving toward. How many of you have given towards a ministry we had for seven years here called Lifetime Summer Day Camp? And many of us in this room either worked at that camp or supported that camp, and we still run into the kids that grew up through that and came to faith. We have three lights lit behind me representing new lives in Christ this year because of our VBS program that you sacrificially gave to. I don't know if you noticed, we have four more lights and we only have five weeks left. Folks, that, that we take it upon ourselves and sacrificially give that which we cannot keep. The Gospel message. The message of Christ. We have thousands drive by us every day. 
that have no understanding that there's a church. I met a lady that was part of the conference this past week that lives in town. She attends three separate churches. She and her husband are Hispanic uh, ministers. And she's very interested in moving towards starting one of these centers through Immigrant Hope. And she was talking and bragging about how great this church is. And the incredible facilities here. And then here it came. I never knew you existed. We have to change that people never knew Christ existed. And we have to change through sacrificial efforts of giving the Gospel, life-saving Gospel message to those that need to know that. That we can light lights. I'm going to have Brad come on up. Brad, I have no idea how this is going to go because that did not go as fast as I thought it would. So, uh, Brad's going to grab one stool, I'm going to grab the other, and we're going to work through some questions. By the way, the picture that I have for you is connected to the group that was here this past week for the conference. And those individuals let us know that those who ran the conference want you to know that they felt the grace of your giving in a tremendous way. You, by giving and supporting this place, you had an impact on the nation. We had people from all over the United States here that are trying to make a difference to those that are hurting and to those that are in need. Well done. And that message comes from the leaders of Immigrant Hope to you. So it's my privilege to pass that on. It's my privilege to brag on you like Paul bragged on the Macedonian church. So with all that, Brad, you ready? Yes. Let me just introduce the Honorable Brad Walter Esquire. <laughs> I've never introduced an Esquire before. It's thrilling, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It made my day. What a lucky guy you are. <laughs> I'm just a giver. Okay. Well, let me start. Go ahead. Okay, so good morning, everybody. <clears throat> so just so you know that obviously Jeremy has seen these questions, but I'm the one that drafted them. So when I drafted them because those are answers, questions that I wanted to have Jeremy answer and for you to maybe get a sense of, of what this really means when we talk about what happens after we walk out of this on Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. We can all sound good on Sunday morning talking about giving, but it's Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday where it becomes more of a challenge. So uh, Jesus discusses money in 16 out of his 38 parables. More is written in the New Testament about money than heaven and hell combined. Five times more is said about money than prayer. And while there are 500 verses dealing with both prayer and faith, there are over 2,000 verses dealing with money and possessions. So, Jer. Yeah, Brad. So, why do you believe that Jesus emphasized this teaching so much? And one last thing. Yeah. And some of this may be repetitive to what Jeremy just said, but Jesus was repetitive in his teaching about money and possession, Amen. so we need to hear it again and Amen. again and again. Or at least I do. You may not, but I do. So. I was just trying to build a foundation for where we were going. Um, Brad, great question. Complicated answer. 
Let me do something that's miraculous and let me bring it down for me into a very succinct point. It's because of our problems. It's because of our issues. So let me answer this question with more Scripture. Jesus says, where your heart is, there will your what? There will your treasure be also. Uh, James talks about the fact that why is there fighting and quarreling amongst us? It's because we want what we do not have. It's, and later in that passage, James talks about the fact that we have an adulterous heart and God is jealous over us. We have an adulterous heart because we're giving our heart over to all these other things. And the way that we see acquiring those things is always money. And when we think about what drives so many of our decisions day in, day out, Christ knew the problem that we had and the problem we would face that is prolific. It hits every area of our life. It hits every area of our spiritual walk, our soul. And it's our attitude towards the resources that He provides. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So I think because of the things we face, He was compelled to speak to that over and over and over. So with that answer in mind, right, how have you and Janine put these practices into operated them in your own lives? So I, I, won't, I won't speak for my wife. Um, what I will say is my wife is much more frugal than I am. Um, we are only surviving because of Jesus and Janine. Um, <laughs> so I just want to be very clear on that level. Uh, I, I think that one of the... Again, trying to bring this down, because there's, it, it, I could say a lot to that. Let me bring it to this. When we got married, we, um, we adopted a creed. And when I do premarital counseling, I always run people through this and, and encourage them to get their own creed. That, that they operate their marriage, their household by. Ours is based out of Romans 12, 9-18. And part of what's in there is this idea of practicing hospitality and being generous with God's people and helping those who are in need. And that requires then, one of the things that was pivotal for us was to go through Crown Ministry, or, or for some, the, the popular one now is Dave Ramsey's. Um, not Ramesses. Um, Dave Ramsey's. Um, or Ramsey. Uh, it, it's the idea of getting your house in order so that bad decisions don't affect good ones. And that was really good advice for us. But uh, we're at the hardest. I, I, I was using my gift of prophetic uh, word um, to my wife about eight years ago saying, hey, these years are coming. These dark, lean years, these Nebuchadnezzar years, right? They're coming where we're going to have kids in college. We're going to have multiple cars. We're going to be at the pinnacle of our expenses. And we are there. Something that we refuse to sacrifice is our steadfast giving to the Lord. So that has never waned. As a matter of fact, I put it on auto pay. I took it out of my own decision process. Now, you, you can do whatever you want, and, and there's a lot of different things to fix with that, but um, we just did it that way, and, and then we make sure that we integrate other areas where we're practicing that generosity. Um, and so it, it's just, for us, it's important that regardless of how much our expenses are there, we understand it's seasonal. And then we live in that dependency. Okay, God, you know what our expenses are. We're going to try not to live above them, 
Um, we're all going to have to live seasonally, but we're not going to sacrifice that joy. We do not want to surrender the abundance of joy that, that giving gives to our family. Great. Um, speaking of marriage counseling. Yes. You know, Nancy and I had about 40 minutes of marriage counseling before we got married. Uh, Pastor Bob and I talked about golf for 10 minutes. And then the other 30 minutes, he shared about giving with Nancy and I. And we were never going to be part of his congregation because he lived up in the mountains and we lived down here. And so his words and his belief that it was that critical for us as a barometer in our spiritual maturity to talk to us about that was critical to us. And it, it, it just kind of opened our eyes and it helped us to take it seriously and learn from, from a man who we really respected. Mm. So you shared earlier about that the Lord has showed you over $120 and nine pizzas yeah. about giving. But was there anybody else in your life that was an example for you that yeah. you can think about? So let me answer this in, in a non-common way, but I think impactful. No. No. Hey, that was a good one. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't let it be said. I, I go on and on and on with my answers. Uh, well, the Lord's good enough. I yes. I, but let me, let me speak to that. There was not someone in, in, the, in the purveyance of what you're explaining in my life. Um, and I would say this about that. So take the time to do that with your children. Teach them. Teach them. It would have saved me a lot of extra waistline and a lot of extra money from wasting money on pizza. Because seriously, in college, I just kept writing checks. I didn't know what a check register was. I didn't know what a balance was. I just like, okay, I, I threw some money in there. I'm just going to keep writing checks. And, and I found out real quickly what, a, what, a, what, a, uh, what that was. And, and I had to learn it. And that, the school of hard knocks and, and the Lord's admonition taught me things I needed to learn. And then there were things like crown ministry and other things that came in. But I was definitely motivated to hear those things. I would just encourage people, train up the next generation. Share with individuals these principles of giving. That's great. Great answer. Um, you know, I, I believe it's fair to say that Jesus does not give us an economic theory or ten explicit rules on how to handle our financial issues. But what do you say to those of us who might be thinking that having that perspective is great, but all I want to do is give my 10% or whatever I have to give and be done with it. I don't want to think about all this other stuff. Is that a wrong mindset to have? Great question. First of all, Brad and brothers and sisters, if we all had that mindset of I just want to give my 10%, our budget committee would be much happier right now. Um, we don't have that mindset. But, let me share this about that. Most pastors would say, yes. I shouldn't say most. Some pastors would say, yes. You've you got to give that 10%. You heard the instruction from the Word of God. Each person needs to pray and move on what it is that God would have them do. And that would be my instruction to you. It may not be 10%. It may only be this percentage. It may be a greater percentage. But it has to come from the Lord. And the demonstration... Look, my saint of a wife... If you're visiting today, you're hearing a lot about my wife today. 
And now she's just looking at me like, what are you going to say? My wife is just such a voice of discernment in my ear, and I, I got some discernment in my ear recently when she realized I never tip for all those coffees I get. And she's saying, how can you not tip? Those people are working hard. You should be tipping. Do you all agree with that? Oh, this is funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just, I'll come clean. I, I handed him a $10 bill. That's like 10 months of back pay in my book. And uh, I, I, I handed him my, my card and I said, take $10 out of that. And they said, we actually can't. So I'm off the hook. Okay, uh, my conscience is clear. Unless I go in, I, they can't do it. But, but the reality is um, the focus when we go out, sometimes we get horrified if we don't give 20% to someone serving us. If we get horrified at somebody who serves and, and, and we cheapskate them, why are we not horrified? at He who gave us everything and not giving to Him on a sacrificial level. How was that for an answer? That was not one I expected. It was not one that I came up with. I read that off the internet. So. You didn't read my answer to you, did you? I, no, I didn't, I didn't. So how often should we give? How regular of an, of an act should it be? Yeah. I, I don't find anything in Scripture that talks about a schedule that you have to... I mean, actually, there is. There is in the Old Testament under the laws, and the, but we don't operate by that. And so unless you want to bring a grain offering or a cow through the door, we're not... We're not and don't do that. Uh, we're not going to proceed in that passion, okay? But other than the Old Testament law and sacrificial giving... Uh, I'm sorry, the, the sacrifices in, in the Old Testament and under the law, um, there isn't any necessarily real schedule... Um, it, it is a giving according to need. According to need. And, and I would just encourage us that if I'm going to give out of convenience, I'm, I'm stealing the joy of giving away. Right? I'm stealing the joy of giving away. And so I, I think that each person needs to work that out. Um, and I will tell you that for us as a church, if you're supporting this local body, if you all give in December rather than on a monthly basis, we're going to be in trouble week or month three or month two. So just understand how the process of, of the community that you're in, how we work, and if you're a member here or if you believe in how this body functions, to give accordingly to support what we do to carry out the Word of God. I've heard stewardship defined as the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. How does stewardship fit into this idea of giving? I'm going to answer that out of the Scripture that is going to be our key Scripture, our theme Scripture for 2019. You are here. This is the first time we've announced it. Are you ready? Uh, again, the Lord gave this to me in my special place out in Catalina Island. And um, I literally was in a cabin praying, God, I really need you to speak to me on behalf of our church for this coming year. I walked down, plopped in a chair in front of the ocean, and within 10 seconds, this verse came to my head. Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, 
I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. A long way to answer this question is simply this. A lot of times we, we waste our money and people have challenges in giving towards facility. Why are we giving towards facility when so many people need help? Because you're here today. You're inside of a facility. You're sitting on chairs. And by being here, we learn what your needs are. You're hearing instruction. That's good. But please understand this. The stewardship of the gospel, the stewardship of the message of Christ is not found in facilities. The facilities enabled us to carry and manifest that message out. And you heard the passage, as through fire, burned up through fire. That if those things that we hold in stewardship, that we care for, the gospel, giving the things that God gives to us, and we utilize that for the kingdom, we use it in a way that cannot be burned up. Does this sound, are you catching where I'm going with this? That it will last. The church in paradise is not gone. It is not gone. It's just spread out. And they have been stewards of that message of Christ and a heart of giving. And you have been stewards of what God has given to you so you can reach out and you can bless them. And so in a sense, that is why stewardship is so desperately, desperately important. It's how we take care of what God has given to us. And it's not wrapped up in buildings. It's not wrapped up in silver and gold. It's not wrapped up in those things. For the, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip a couple questions, Jir, and go to the last two that I have. Is that okay? Yes, if I can just follow up by saying, because I was leading to this question. You were? Okay. I was. That, well, let's do it then. What does sacrificial giving mean? So stewardship, because the question was how Janine and I learned this. Um, we've been blessed. We have more than what we need. We have more than what we know to do with. One of those things is this guitar. Not that guitar. I'll be very clear with this. All right, Joe's, Joe's getting very nervous. This guitar. Uh, this guitar has so much sentimental value to me. Um, first of all, I have this guitar as a blessing from the Lord. Uh, I never paid what you would pay for a Taylor guitar. Not even close. But was given the opportunity to participate in what's called a friends and family deal where I got it like 20% below cost, direct from the factory, ordered it direct, went there, took the tour. At the end of the tour, I got my precious baby and I equate it to like going to Disneyland and you get to take one of the seven dwarves home, <laughs> right? I just want you to be real clear how I feel about that guitar. I have played worship songs in Hong Kong, in the deserts of Beirut. I have played worship songs in a Tanzanian uh, uh, sandbar out on out on the indian ocean i have played all over the world with this guitar for christ uh, i have played in front of thousands and the second richest man in hong kong uh, with that guitar worship songs 
Are you getting the understanding? We have a monument sign that needs to change. And I want you to hear me clearly. Because there are thousands that drive by us every day. You know what statistics say about those thousands? One in five is addicted to drugs. Four out of five don't know the Lord. Three out of five are suffering from depression. And they know not where to get the answer. They're going after answers in places that are going to let them down. And they don't know we're here. They don't know we're here. They don't know we're here. You want to talk about stewardship? This means nothing. If I lived in paradise, it would be burned up. But you know what I can get for this guitar? Because it's now currently for sale. And if anybody wants to buy it, it's for sale for $1,500. That's $1,000 off. I sound like an infomercial. <laughs> That's $1,000 off. All $1,500 will go to that monument sign. Somebody buy it or tell somebody to buy it. Because that is important. That is not. That's what it means to sacrificially give because I have a ton of memories stacked up in that. It's not just a material possession. Guess what? Somebody else is going to own that. Do you think those memories can be stolen from me? No. They cannot. They cannot. But that can burn. It will not make it through the fire. All right, let's hit your last two questions. No, that's great. I mean, I've already said that, that uh, sacrificial giving is giving that significantly affects your lifestyle no matter how much you have or how little you have. Um, I think it's true. Joe Lewis, former heavyweight boxing champion of the world, once said that I don't like money actually, but it quiets my nerves. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, uh, for many of us, the obstacle to charity lies not in our luxurious living or desire for more money, but in our fear our fear of insecurity. Mm -hmm. What do you say to those of us that have those fears within us? Read Hebrews 11. It's called the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith. And every single one of those patriarchs or matriarchs had to face fear and insecurity. And none of them traded it in. Instead, they were used greatly by God. They lived the life that God had marked out for them and they have no regrets. That's what I would encourage you to do when it comes to insecurities. Live with no regrets and pour yourself like we, we see out of 1 Corinthians 3. Pour yourself into something that when the fire comes, it's, it's going to last. It's going to last because we pour a lot into things that will burn up or will not survive and then we're right back to the square one with insecurities, right? Right or wrong, that's how I answer that. Thank you. Last one. Scripture is clear that faithful givers receive great blessings for their generosity. What does this concept mean? And what does it not mean? Yeah. So how many of you have heard, you can't outgive God? I love that statement. That's like peanut butter is married to jelly. You're wondering, okay, wrap this up. Somehow make the link, Pastor Jared, because I don't follow where you're going. Of course you can't outgive God. I don't understand what that has to do with giving. Yeah, you cannot create earth. You cannot sustain the air that we need to breathe. You cannot sacrifice your son so that he conquers over... You cannot outgive... Okay, that's a given. 
What that has to do with this, it's a colloquialism we use to manipulate people to give because we sense that they won't give. So shame on us who constantly say that. Now, if you want to use that in a, in a proper context of theology where you're talking about things having nothing to do with money, but you're just exalting God and glorifying, do it. Amen. But what God is not talking about, and when you look at your Scriptures, what He's not talking about, and I don't know if you heard it out of this passage, out of 1 Corinthians 3, is that we want to, we want to encourage... You, you know, you're, you're smart enough to figure this out, that there are people who stand in this position that want to build their kingdoms. And so they promise you things. Do you know what Christ promised you? He promised you eternal life. Christ promised you the Holy Spirit. Christ promised you answers and freedom from sin and death. He promised you life to the full. Do you know life to the full does not reflect necessarily where your bank account is or how big your house is or your car? But in America, we seem to quantify it that way, and yet we hear over and over how many miserable people there are that live up in Oakhurst. This idea about sowing and reaping out of 2 Corinthians 9, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, he who sows well will reap much. That's all within the context of what God is trying to do. Brothers and sisters, there's only so much I can do with my resources. But when I see what God does with it and multiplies it out for His glory, that's exciting. And by the way, there's only so much I can do for myself. I don't need a whole lot. I need a coffee in the morning. Alright? I actually don't even need that. But, that I would see the fullness of life come because of Jesus Christ and what He's done and I live in life of that. I just read out of Fox's Book of Martyrs this morning before coming into service the testimony of an individual that was uh, killed at the gallows in 1684. And his testimony to Christ, and as he looked at his children, and he looked at his wife, six children, one wife, and he said, with all confidence, I have no regrets in having the ability to stand here and be martyred for the cause of Christ. Oh, that I can say something like that that it would not be wrapped up in how much I can acquire that's just going to burn. That we would build for those things that are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ that move and move, that we light for lights. By the way, I'm not trying anymore. Don't count on me to light those lights for the month of December. I'm taking December off. Does that make you uncomfortable? Imagine how I feel when I hear individuals say that 11 months out of the year. Think about me, I'm one person, and there's nothing that special about me. Other than that guitar, there's nothing that special about me. I don't even know what you said. Don't talk. Don't talk. What? I, I bring it on myself, don't I? Shorter answers, and this doesn't happen. I don't know what I was going to finish with. Let's just be done and, and, and invite the worship team up. Brad, thank you so much. Man, it was so serious and dramatic. <laughs>